Hey Enrico, what's up? Hey, we have a new sponsor here. It's true. Star starting from this episode. Mixing things up. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. A little diversity is always good. It's a good feeling. Yeah. So this time, Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within data that lead to insights that ignite good ideas. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's qlik.de slash data stories. Don't forget the slash data stories part. That's true, because that's the best part. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting old, man. We're getting old. <laughs> getting closer to the to, to the 50. 50s. Yeah, we need yeah. a cabrio. Yeah, half <laughs> <laughs> <Up> century. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, man. I, I no, it's thought not bad. we we go that far. I mean, honestly, no. It, it it's so much stuff. <laughs> I don't remember what we have done. It's all a blur. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not sure yet what we're gonna do for the 50th, but we should organize something. If you guys have any idea what we should do for data stories number 50, let us know. Yeah. What's the appropriate way to party? Yeah. <laughs> party, party like a podcaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How is everything? Good, good, good. Back, um, yeah. The year is like has kicked off, and yeah. uh, I'm starting to juggle my responsibilities again. Same here. Yeah, I have a new plan. So I always come up with these great plans how everything can be much easier and much better. Mm -hmm. So my new plan is I do three thirds. Like one third is teaching workshops, data stories, these types of things, conferences. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a third of my time. One third is like solid projects. You know, predictable stuff. Yeah. Craftsmanship. Yeah. And yeah. one third is crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because now, bad, huh? <laughs> now that you mentioned thirds, it's pretty much the same thing for me. Fantastic. Because I, yeah, because I do teaching, mm -hmm. I do research, and I do grants writing. All right. So, yeah, these are my, my main three responsibilities. And, and what is your crazy stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Everything, <laughs> Everything or nothing. <laughs> the madness is spread all yeah. out. Yeah. Very good. Spread everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I sort of, I sort of defined that over Christmas that I actually want to aim at having like an equal balance between these parts. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with the crazy part. <laughs> yeah, it's most of the time it's not sweet. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, the other day I met one of my colleagues on the bathroom here and he said, you know, during the holidays I've been coding. So, but I also, I also enjoyed coding. So I, I did uh, like one or two projects now on my own again. And uh -huh. It was nice too. Like, yeah, of course. To, yeah. Just to write code. And, yeah. But then when it comes to debugging and you know, making it actually work, I get it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 The usual trouble. Yeah. So I think we actually forgot to mention that the special guest There's for no today guest. is us. <laughs> 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 I don't know when is the last time that we had a one-to-one, -one, but it's a good ago. feeling. It's like 40 ages. episodes ago or something. Yeah. yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I think we had one where we had a review of the past episodes or episodes of the last year, something like that. Okay. And then 
and yeah, before that, I think the, the previous one was just at the very beginning, me and you yeah. talking about, I don't know, shit. The good old times. Man. <laughs> the good old times. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, so we want to do this kind of thing more often, right? And uh, and uh, try to talk about things that normally we cannot talk about because we have guests and we cannot really totally control what we're going to talk about. But there are a few things that we want to talk about that we are interested in. So I think this is an opportunity to to basically put these ideas into the into the podcast. Yeah. And I think one thing that we should do in the future is also ask for do some sort of Q&A kind of thing. So if you guys have any anything any questions or anything you want us to talk about during this spe- special kind of shows, we would be very really happy to talk about it. Yeah, naturally we're also now planning to hear a bit and thinking about you know yeah. who to invite and you know what to cover, how to move the the podcast ahead and so yeah. Your, your input is appreciated. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so so where, where do we start? Let's talk about books, right? We want to talk about a couple of books. Yeah, we, I mean, we did that last time a bit already. Yeah. But I just received a new one, which I thought it could be nice to talk about. It's called New Challenges for Data Design. And the contributor list is really quite nice. So it's um, run by a... Um, the the editor is a French professor uh, he's called David Bihanich and Mm -hmm. he put together I think a quite nice list of people so um, half of them have been on data stories already (laughs) I would say (laughs) so there's Santiago Ortiz there's Kim Rees there's Georgia Lupi, there's Wes Grubbs oh we didn't have Wes yet so Uh, Alberto Cairo Stefan Thiel Jan Willem Tulp, Stephanie Prozavec, lots of good people. Nice. Yeah. And um, each of them has a chapter. Many of them are interviews. Um, Others are like case studies or overview chapters. It's it's a really nice, I think, status quo description of, of data design and so on. The mm-hmm. downside is it's super expensive. And I sort of saw something like that coming when I was talking to the editor and asked him, like, okay, it's, it's a Springer publication. And usually, you know, these academic uh, publications yeah. are super expensive. Don't tell me. And he yeah. said, yeah, it's going to be like 60, 70 euros, you know. But but now it actually turned out it's over 100. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's really expensive. Or, How come? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God. But um, I will put a link into the... Um, Show notes because there's a, a cheaper ebook version, and you can also have the ebook oh, okay. printed again. Yeah. You know, probably the print quality is not that great, or I don't know so about that. A- but that that's a way at least to get to the contents for a bit cheaper. Uh, but the book it looks really great, so it's it's a bit sad that these things have to be so expensive. So, are you allowed to publish your chapter independently on the web? I'm not sure, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we should put a link yeah. on your chapter. Yeah, so as well, there's right? an interview with me, like on my design process and what I find important and and things like yeah. that and yeah I just published that because I think information should be free you know yeah but I, I think that you should check because I think it's pretty much the same with research papers mm. of course there is a copyright on top of them yeah. but the author can independently publish a preprint right. on the yeah. web so it might actually be similar usually it's okay yeah yeah and yeah so what is how do they define data design in the book? Yeah, I'm just that's a good curious. question. I, I think he, he's... And what are the challenges, by the way? <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have read the book first. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, but it is sort of about these artistic, designy ways of approaching um, the challenges and opportunities of big data. I guess yeah? that's like the, the general general uh, idea behind behind the book. So it's a very yeah very design heavy book, and especially given that it's a Springer publication. Yeah, and so that's kind of nice. And I think it's mainly the the editors, David Pianich's initiative. I don't think Springer came up with the idea, but I think it was more he said we need to write this book. And uh, yeah, I really, yeah, I really applaud that. Yeah, and that ties nicely to our general theme. We discovered that academics and um, um, practitioners might get closer after all. Yeah, this is what we did briefly discussed uh, during our last uh, episode. Uh, but I would love, I would love to talk about it a little longer because I think there is some, there might actually be a little bit of a trend, and and that's great for me. I mean, most of the stuff that I've been doing on the web, like opening uh, a, a blog a few years back, and even starting data stories, I think partially is about trying to connect, also trying to connect these two communities, sure. because I think that having researchers and practitioners help each other is is crucial. To make this this uh, to make visualization thrive in general, right? Sure. And um, I think at the very beginning, what really surprised me is that not only practitioners don't necessarily know what is happening in academia, but even more so, uh, the opposite. Academics don't didn't really know exactly that there were lots of really interesting practitioners doing fantastic stuff, right? And I think one interesting thing is that this is changing, and it was clear when we went to the this conference together <laughs> that that. Now academics um, love stuff that is that is done by practitioners, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, and at the same time, I'm sure that we are producing new research that can be applied to um, in practice by many designers. So I think that's that's really good. Sure. That's really really yeah, good. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I don't know if this is. I, I, I think there are a few signs that show that this is happening. I don't know if this is gonna last. But um, I think something is happening right now. That's really, really good. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right in, in that it just took a while until the mutual respect, <laughs> you know, and the mutual yeah. awareness was there, you know, that sort of now this, this dialogue can happen. I think, I think maybe yeah. a few years ago, you know, many designers were a bit more repelled maybe by the whole paper business and the complicated yeah. words and so on and also the 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 scientists were maybe a bit looking down on the you know oh yeah he's doing colorful stuff but i think yeah, you know yeah, yeah yeah given that yeah or seeing now all these these two fields over the years i think both sides have realized that there's a lot to be gained right I fully agree. Yeah. And I think this is also partially due to the fact that, at least from the academic side, what is changing really, really fast is that now many researchers have a presence on the web and they create, they are really trying to curate as much as possible their work. And it didn't used to be like that even a few years back. I mean, it used to be my main task is to publish a paper in the top journal of conference, right? And today this is no longer enough. Right. I don't know. I probably it's not happening only in this. Probably it's happening everywhere. But I can clearly see it happening in our in in my community. It's no longer sufficient just to publish a paper in the top conference. You want to make sure that you're doing some, quote unquote, kind of marketing of your research right, right. because otherwise it's not enough. Right. And and some people are doing this thing very 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 well, mm -hmm. especially the the, the youngest ones. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, uh, Robert has been mentioning this uh, during our last episode for for a bit, but I, I want to iterate this thing. Some really young researchers have been giving fantastic presentations, uh, preparing pages on the web, posting a video, making sure that everything is available and reachable on the web. It didn't used to be like that even a few years sure, back. Sure. So I think this is this is great. I hope it's going to last, but I think it is going to last because otherwise you won't survive, right? <laughs> you want to show, I mean, uh, publishing a paper is not enough. Now you have to make sure that people use your work. Right. right. So I think that that's a very important uh, trend. But I think it also depends a bit on one type, what type of research you do, right? So some, yeah. let's say, tools or concrete like toys, <laughs> you know, they lend themselves much more or frameworks, you know, to to being immediately applicable and, and other things, more basic researchers, of course. Less. Um, but I mean, everything can I be presented. Yes and no, I mean, right? Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes and no, because I, I can tell you at Visa, I saw at least a couple of uh, a, a couple of presentation on experimental work that can be probably applied very easily on uh, real world problems, yeah. very well attended, very well presented. So I think that's that's very interesting. It's not just uh, publishing new tools or libraries or applications, whatever. I think the experimental part is very inter- uh, the experimental part is very yeah, interesting yeah, as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so it might be right. a mindset thing. Yeah, let's see. I mean, let's see next year what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it's good. It's really good sounds like yeah um then i i wanted to talk about so going back to books i a few days back i posted a brief um blog post on this book that i'm reading is called statistics as principled argument Mm -hmm. and i want to briefly mention that because it also introduces something i wanted to talk about that is data literacy Mm -hmm. that is something we briefly me and you also discussed briefly in in paris and i think we should actually focus much more on on this kind of problems but let me talk about the book first so this book has been suggested to me by alberto cairo the first time i think we were at this when he mentioned this book and um for a while I was a little skeptical. Then I finally decided to buy it and read it. Uh, I didn't read it all uh, yet. I think I'm halfway through. But it's amazing because it's basically... So this book is written by Robert Abelson Mm -hmm. in the late... uh, In the Mm mid-90s, okay? And the book is not at all about um, numbers or formulae or anything like that. There's very few uh, math inside. And it's mostly about the idea. So the main argument of the author is statistics is about providing an argument. So it doesn't matter exactly how much uh, math you use, how many numbers you use. Uh, Every single uh, researcher who is actually commenting or doing statistics on top of data is basically providing his own or her own argument, Mm -hmm. okay? So it's not just numbers. And and I think that's really interesting and and very unique because I never re- I never really uh, read anything like that before and I think it's a super important message both for people who do research and generate these numbers and these statistics as well as for people who read these statistics right and I think this is especially important more important now that we see for instance in data journalism is so much more common to provide arguments through uh, data 
numbers and stats. So I think it is very important for people to understand that if a story is co is complemented with statistics and numbers, it doesn't make necessarily the story truer. Okay, <laughs> it depends on the way you 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 present this stuff, sure, right? Sure. And and he makes this argument really really well. the The book is split in a few chapters. He talks about a lot about rhetorics and how to use rhetorics in statistics. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening to to the show and are interested in that, I really really suggest you strongly suggest you this book because it's very unique. I read many other books, statistics books that focus mostly on methods, how to do this, how to do that, mm -hmm. and but this is not about methods. It's about how do you actually provide an argument, right? Yeah, and especially I mean, if you're like a positivist or so in statistics, <laughs> you you would assume statistics is there to eliminate right? you know because yeah. your findings you know <laughs> are independent not, yeah. of of rhetorical <laughs> tricks you know yeah 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 but yeah, yeah. i totally agree it's it, a lot of it is about like discourse and arguments and uh, yeah and, uh, rhetorics yeah absolutely so let, let, let me let me take some quotes from the book i have it in front of me because it's really interesting so it says meaningful research tells a story with some point to it and statistics can sharpen the story mm -hmm. yeah. right <laughs> or uh interestingness seems to have to do with changing the audience belief about important relationships often by articulating circumstances in which obvious explanations of things break down mm -hmm. so that that's really interesting and there is also a chapter on uh, Detecting fishiness, which is really interesting. <laughs> Bullshit detector, yeah. <laughs> Bullshit detector. <laughs> important to have. Yeah, important to have. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really, really good, actually. Yeah, good. Great. It is. It is really good. It is really, really good. And the surprising thing: this is has been published in the nineties. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I've never heard of it. So it's really, really good, right? And uh, I think somewhere there is also a chapter, or at least a paragraph about the dreaded p-values and how not to count too much on that mm -hmm. and the crazy dichotomy of something is important only if the p-value is right, less right, than something right, yeah. if it's not then it's not important <laughs> right which is of course so crazy. let's run the experiment again until it is important. yeah and people are chasing the p-value all the time right i've been doing it myself sure. so i know yeah. what he's talking about so it's it's really interesting And um, and I think this is introduces also the general problem of data literacy that we we discussed briefly when we were in Paris. Uh, I think especially I especially like the the title of your tutorial. It was everything but the vis, right? Yeah. And I think this is connected to that because I mean there are many other things that are important other than. Uh, encoding information visually, mm. right? There is so much more going on before you are able to do that. And I, I'm sure you you have been experiencing this problem all the time with your projects, right? Sure. And I mean, it's it's also a point I like to make in teaching is that, you know, first, you know, we discuss a lot how to use the right colors and if area is better or length and, you know, all these things. And then at some point in the course, I often say like, but listen, it's... It's not that important, you know. It's you know, it's good to know all these things, and you know, not to embarrass yeah. yourself and not yeah, not to yeah, mislead, yeah, yeah. like you know, blatantly. But end yeah. of the day, you know, it's much more important, like what's your general approach, like which type of 
how, how do you organize your own truth-finding process and how do you verify you're on the right track and how do you verify that what you're communicating is actually what, um, what arrives at the audience's, you know, or what is the concepts that are being formed in the audience's mind by the things you do. And th this is in the end what counts. You know? and, and if these are yeah. accurate and truthful or not, and not if you pick, yeah, I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, there are degrees of truthfulness, right? It's not that something totally. is, I mean, there are cases where something is clearly wrong, yeah. right? But these cases are rare. <laughs> so. Yeah. And there's also very different, <laughs> let's say, uh, granularity levels you want to take into account, right? And, and yeah. some of them might be good in one situation or for one audience and another one might be good for another audience. And it's very it's it's a very complex activity actually <laughs> and again i see yeah. much more and more the link to journalism because they have to cope with the same things you know they they dive yeah, into yeah, these absolutely. big stories about you know complex relationships and at the end of the day they have to write an article that people get and that people read from beginning to end but that makes sense right and yeah um so i see this more and more this this general Thing. And coming yeah. back to data literacy, I think that also means if we want to improve visual literacy or data literacy, I think we need to teach people how to create data visualizations because only once you create one, you know what the wiggle room is actually or what the crucial decisions are or how much you can actually change things up just by you know choosing a different chart type or choosing a different data set or leaving out a part or merging yeah. two numbers into one, things like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, this is the important part because it's not just about visual representation. It's about, it's mostly about deciding what to represent in the first mm -hmm. place, right? Which is not a trivial decision at all, right? And I think this is also connected to what I was mentioning before, the degree of interestingness. I think it's mostly, I mean, a very interesting visualization is mostly, most of the time, interesting because of the data, the information that is presented there, not necessarily the way it is presented, right? right? So I think it is very important. And related to that, I'm not sure exactly how to teach that or how to so if a person comes to me and let's say after this episode sends an email to us and says i would like to become more data literate uh, what should i read what where should i go it's not clear right or do you think it is clear where would you start? That's a good question. Uh, no, I, I, no, there's no single place, I guess, where you there's can There's no single people, place, yeah. right? Because, of course, you can say, well, read some stats book, yeah. read all the Viz classics, yeah. read this, read that. I mean, there's the but data journalism handbook, which gives at least a broad... Oh, yeah, that's a good... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, yeah. But I think that's also because you cannot just read, you know, a couple of things and then you know, and then the topic is sorted. But as I said, I think it's something you have to experience yourself. So you have to measure something you care about yourself and then think hard about how to find a good visual form for what you have measured and what you find to be a good shape of the data and things like this. So I don't think you can get become data literate without creating or working with data yourself. That's my my strong belief there. Um, and I think that's what we should teach. Actually. That's true. 
That's true. But at the same time, I mean, one could also imagine that in general, we would like to have a society where people are more able just to read this stuff correctly. Yeah, but I think we only get there if we teach them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So one little project that I always have in the back of my mind is going to some schools and teach this stuff to kids. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm no yeah, seriously, I'm totally sure that they will be uh, able to to understand basic things about data and how to read charts, how to spot things that don't work. Yeah. And uh, this is a very basic kind of literacy, right? So I think it would be totally reasonable to um, organize courses for for in I don't know at least in the high school. Yeah. Did you teach your kids already how to read like complex charts? <laughs> no, did you? Um, simple stuff like line charts, bar simple charts. Stuff, yeah. We had um, yeah. maps we had. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but no, no um, scatter plot yeah. matrix yet. Um, <laughs> no tree map. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I fear that as soon as they will be old enough to understand exactly what I'm mm. doing, they would totally hate it. <laughs> you think know. so? No. I don't know. I'm for this kind of, you know, you want to do something against your parents ah, or that's right. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same for me. I sort of try to keep that family life a bit separate from, you know, my <laughs> professional <laughs> yeah. life. That's yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you, I, I'm really surprised to see. So from time to time, I go to my kids' classroom mm -hmm. and they already teach a lot of things very early on. In class. Right. So, yeah. From first grade. So they have uh, all around the walls of the, of the room. It's a big, big room. They have, for instance, charts like um, to count how many birthdays are for a given month in the right. class. And it's basically each unit that makes the the bar mm -hmm. is one birthday, nice. and there is a cupcake on yeah. top. <laughs> it's yeah, it's nice. Yeah, right? well, you could send it's kids nice. out and you know count certain types of trees or yeah. birds or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's I think there's a lot you could do in this area, like just being in an investigator and being a detective. You know, that's something that kids yeah, yeah, like yeah. to do and figuring stuff yeah. out and like. Counting yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. so I think there's lots of opportunity. So maybe maybe yeah. we should found a little data uh, <laughs> data school, <laughs> data school for kids. Yeah, why not? Th that would be yeah, really cool. That would be really really cool. Now that I think about it, they also have some sort of quantified self kind yeah, of thing. I mean, they have one calendar where they stick different um, dots with different colors according to the uh -huh. weather outside. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Chocolate consumed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They do some some manual data collection, so it's really perfect interesting. For learning math, I mean, why not? It is perfect. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I mean. Like more, like more personal data stuff. I think that's that's in many ways um, um, a good way to to get started with that because it, if it has personal relevance, you sort of you will take in the statistics and the truth finding and the sense making. Yeah. you know, on the go. Basically, it's it's not a, a it's not so remote, yeah. And I think this is a, a general principle that every time you do something that is personal, that you feel a lot of connection to, is so much easier, and you have so much more interest in what sure, you are sure. doing. So I think this is this is a very general principle that works not only with kids but with everyone, I guess. Yeah, true, um, true. Yeah, nice data, data kids. kids. There we have it. We should do that. <laughs> We have it. We have a trademark, at least. 
yeah. So we could talk about about a few smaller things. So I, I ran across a really nice project. I liked it a lot from Kyle McDonald. Yeah. I think it's a bit older already, but I hadn't seen it. So Kyle mm-hmm. is sort of a artist, hacker, technology experimenter. I know him for a few years now. He does great stuff. And he had an artist in residency, residency at um, Spotify, the music uh, company, music streaming company. And I mean, there's sort of mixed opinions about these intern. I say internship again, but it's a residency, of course. But I don't know how art and and uh, companies relate. That's often a bit tricky. But I think he made something great out of it. And he built an application that would track when people play exactly the same song at the same time across the world. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, I saw it. Now <laughs> and I remember. You, you just have this sort of jukebox radio type thing of, um, yeah, the same track being played by totally unrelated people twice across the world. And I really liked it because it's such a nice and um, interesting way to think about this huge data set because you have to think, (coughs) he basically had the whole of Spotify data probably at his disposal. And it's hard to do something meaningful with that, with all these possibilities. And he and he came up with this like charming, simple idea, right? And I think in many yeah. ways this is sort of the big challenge right now, giving all the possibilities with the huge databases and big data and lots of dimensions, lots of measurements and so on, is to come up with these poignant, smart, concise um intriguing ideas you know what to do with that yeah and often they can have a very simple core like it's just these yeah two things at the same time and 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 i think we need more of that and i think we can yeah pull a lot of inspiration obviously from from artists like kyle because they often have this unique um um approach to these things yeah and i have to say that i think this is a good time to say i think in my opinion we need to have more artistic approaches to big data in general. I think it's really, really good, a really, really good idea to let artists play with big data sets because not necessarily something good comes out of having a very precise goal, a business kind of approach. Of course, this is very important, right? But at the same time, I think that some artists have the, I don't know, they know how to look at these kind of things from a completely different point of view with a completely different kind of lens and generate stuff that is equally important right right? and creating in a way emotions out of data and and i think the whole idea of creating emotions out of data is something that i really really like and i think it's really really important Mm -hmm. this can kick off whole developments you know that you know can start from this these seeds of, of thinking different about the same thing yeah and i'd also like to mention jay thorpe who we had on the show a few no, like, episodes yeah, back, a year, maybe a year ago, yeah. And um, he wrote a, a great article on how there should be an artist in every library. So because he's been to, <laughs> yeah. to a conference Connected about information um, sciences and library ship, and he also developed that sense of okay, we should really, really work on bringing these communities together and maybe have something like a residency program in in libraries. And there are a couple of these, and they could be much more. And I agree, if it's set up right, 
these can be super interesting opportunities for both sides. I think what's super important is though is not to see it too much as like you know just say yeah the artist he's gonna do something like interesting but ultimately um, effectless yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> or you know just decoration but, uh, I mean... <laughs> or you know just repurpose the artist for. Um, yeah, we need a new website <laughs> or, yeah, let's make a data I mean, visualization, but I, you know, but, you know, <laughs> I think on both sides, there really needs to be openness to understand the other side's mode of working and what's important, important to, you know, to the people, but then know. it can but work really I have well. To say, yeah. I have to say that when something has a clear artistic value, it's so evident, right? I mean, you don't need to judge it. It's just beautiful, right? And I don't know, intense. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, don't know. I, At least I applaud from my point these, of view. these types of things. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. So you want to talk about a little bit about your project on Broadway? Because I think we didn't have time to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I think we just and mentioned it uh, briefly. So, yeah, very so briefly. There, there's an exhibition running right now in New York uh, in the New York Public Library. Um, and it's about photography. Yeah. And... Um, the Selfie City team, so Lev Manovic, uh, me, Daniel Godemeyer, Dominikus Bauer, who we also had on the show. So you see, it's a big family. Um, <laughs> it's a yeah, recurring sort of, team. Uh, we developed a project especially for that exhibition. And the project is called On Broadway. And what we did was collect a lot of data along Broadway because Broadway actually spans the full of Manhattan. It's like 13 miles long and... Um, Loads of blocks <laughs> along Broadway. <laughs> and you can collect a lot of data. And we collected a couple of social media data. We worked with taxi data. We have census data, you know, looking at income. And so, and so what we investigated is a bit like what the, what could be a portray of the city th through the lens, of course, of that street. And also then again, through the lens of these different data layers. So in the end, we produced this interactive installation that is like a big accordion. So in the beginning, you have the full street condensed into like an accordion, like squeezed together, and you can zoom into <laughs> individual parts and investigate exactly um, and also see how a whole uh, neighborhood, um, you know, how the different neighborhoods compare to each other in, in the data, but also in street view images. Uh, Instagram images, so it's a mix of qualitative and quantitative research again, a bit like Selfie City, but for a street. <laughs> yeah. And so it's now on show in in the New York Public Library as a like interactive installation. I just heard it's gonna be shut down or like closed for three months, unfortunately, because there's like yeah, oh, there's like a come? renovation urgency, more or less. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. But now we are launching the website soon. I was planning to have a field yeah, trip I think, with my I think they're going to research group right right now more or less. Yeah, yeah, it's very oh. unfortunate. Um, but it will be available on the web and also the interactive uh, thing. So we worked hard, especially the mm -hmm. Nikos worked hard to to make that work on the web, and so we can publish it. Yeah, so that's happening. Cool, uh, that's cool. Um, data cuisine, <laughs> which we talked about also in one of the first episodes, really, like the one on food. Yeah. Um, is yeah. going strong. So we had a great edition last year in Barcelona um, connected to Zona Plus D and the Big Bang Data exhibition, which was mm -hmm. fantastic too. We also never talked about that. 
The exhibition is really good. Anyways, so this was good. And now we have another version we're just working on now. That's actually a catering event. And it's for um, for a group of international journalists, uh, investigative journalists. And they have their sort of annual meeting and awards. And we make specific data dishes, you know, for each of the countries they work in <laughs> and with meaningful data sets and, and so on. So that's, that's very nice. And... We plan to do more this year, so Data Cuisine is, is going strong. Where, when is the next? It's one? actually um, not not when on where, Friday, where, <laughs> so probably uh -huh. you know <laughs> it's already passed when the episode comes out uh, in Berlin. Yeah. And we try to uh -huh. do something, um, let's say in April or May in Italy, but I yeah, but I can't oh. say much more about it. But that's like the current plan. Also, you could I come. I would love yeah. to be there. Hmm. Can can you at least uh, tell us where we'll nah, be in Italy? I don't Italy? want to jinx it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's fun. Wow. Well, yeah. The one in Italy is going to be the best one, of course. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are also having one planned in Holland, but I'm not sure about the food aspect. I, I would uh -huh. I would prefer the Italy edition, I guess. Well, do you want me to spend a few words on that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if you have the choice, Italy is, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what else? I mean, the then the OECD data portal came finally out of beta. That's been a big project for last year. So that that went live. Uh -huh. And yeah, there will be many more developments there. But if you're interested in data, which I would assume, uh, it's worth yeah. checking out. There's loads of data sets there. And the visualization there is really more about finding the right data sets. You know, not so much about building like super fancy stuff. It's pretty basic stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think executed quite well. And what we try to do is be really smart about little charts in the search results already. So you can, you know, get a sense of what are the most interesting data sets straight away. Um, mm -hmm. So there's lots of like sparkland charts and little nice little details. So I'm just curious to hear, I don't know if you can talk about it. Do you have any data or information about how people actually use the portal? Um, not yet, not so much because it was now mostly in beta, but um, we will monitor that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. Okay. Like um, how much they go into the different like sections and uh, how deep they go and things like this. Yeah. So that's going to be mostly scientists or, or what? Who is using exactly this uh, data? It depends. Economists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's often it's analysts or journalists or um, researchers also, you know. Um, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. I mean, OCD is a general information source for, for wide audiences. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I have to say that I think a few years back it used to be a big trend of having many new mm -hmm. data portals. And now it's almost gone, right? I mean, there are a few established ones, and uh, I, which I, th I think it's a good thing, right? <laughs> but we had this old period when a new, every few months there was a new big data source Could coming be. out. Yeah. 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 But it's going to be interesting like, so who are going to be the trustworthy data sources in the future and you know is sure. there is there a market for data really and you know these types of things yeah. or in which forum is there really a market for data? and I think that's, that's sort of interesting like especially for these general data sets. Yeah. yeah. There's sure. also Wikidata which I'm sort of following which could be interesting it's like the Wikipedia 
counterpart, no, uh -huh. it's like the data counterpart to Wikipedia. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Things like this is all very exciting, I think. So I think this is a good time to stop for a moment and talk about our sponsor idea, again. Actually, yeah. yeah. Right? So you've been trying the 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 ClickView, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, there's actually two products. So Click is the company, and then there's ClickView that's been around for a long time. I think more than ten years, actually, uh, maybe twenty even. So that's um, enterprise software for for business intelligence. Quite established, has a powerful data engine behind it, and it's a strong analytical tool in that context. Um. And now there's a new tool from the same company. It's called ClickSense. And that's a very fresh development. And what I really like about it is fully oriented towards the web. So even if you download the standalone application, it's actually like a Chrome, you know, that just has a, a, a skin. Uh, but it's basically a web view that is being rendered. All the charts are, are being uh, rendered in SVG. And it's all native uh, web technologies, and basically what it's what it's good for, like the the ClickSense software is a bit more approachable. For ClickView, you really need to be an expert and like know the scripting language and write adapters to your databases and things like this. So it only makes sense if you have a big company and you have real IT people working on that. And ClickSense is much more. Uh, product for everybody to get started and build dashboards and analyze data themselves and, and really quickly build interactive uh, visualizations. And it's really nice. It's, it's, um, so I, I was quite impressed with, um, uh, so I, I got a demo from one of the guys and he really, you know, within a few minutes built a really complex dashboard. Um, that had really good interaction possibilities. So you can zoom all the charts. You can brush data in one chart and it will be brushed in the other ones. Uh, you can immediately drill down into, into data sets by selecting something in one chart and then see how it plays out in the other charts. Um, it's really nicely done. And, and the, the charts, they scale quite well. Uh, it runs on tablets, uh, phones, you know, because it's all web based, basically. So yeah, it's really kind of nice. So you can um, try it out on click.com, click with a Q. So you have to get used to that. It's Q-L-I-K. And we'll put a, a link to the ClickSense, which, which I would really recommend um, uh, into the show notes. And if you want to see what you can do with Click, there's a really nice, for instance, a, a quantified live demo. So there was one guy uh, who built a, uh, like a Feltron-style uh, yearly report. And um, he built like this whole dashboard for his whole year, all the data he has collected. It's very interactive. <laughs> and so uh, because it's web-based, what's really nice also is you can build your own charts and connect them to the Click Engine. So if you, you know, for one type of data, the line chart is fine or the bar chart, whatever. But if you have maybe a D3 component you want to use, like a network visualization, you can uh, 
this sort of a plugin architecture so you can just put your own visualizations inside the the clicksense dashboards it's, that's super nice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other thing i learned because i i also didn't see it much in the wild so you might wonder why i haven't never seen you know the the software it's mostly mm -hmm. used inside companies so it's not so much oh, yeah, of course. you know on the web sharing cool stuff in yeah, this world yeah, yeah, of but course. it's used a lot inside organizations and companies and and it's a really powerful tool. And, you know, this might explain why you're like, oh, I've never heard of that. But it's you know, if you're not in that world, you don't, you don't see what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I actually have heard of it many, yeah. many times. Yeah, yeah. the click view is, yeah. is like yeah. it's one of yeah. the big, big business intelligence software. Pieces. I think business intelligence is, is right, very right, well right, known. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, check it out at qlik.de slash data stories. Give it a spin. Okay, what's next? Um, Do we have more stuff? <laughs> we always have more <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so I wanted to briefly mention uh, a couple of works from my side that might be interesting for 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 mm. our listeners. We just have a new paper out that is called How Deceptive Are Deceptive Visualizations? And this is going to be published at the next uh, ACM, ACM Kai oh. conference. That is the main conference on human-computer interaction. Big, yeah. Kai is big, yeah. And, um, and I think the results are interesting because... So the main goal of this work was mainly to... So we started analyzing and reading all these... Uh, books or resources about deceptive visualization. How to live right? with charts. So deceptive, how, to, yeah. how to live with charts, how to live right, with statistics. Right. And, and even Tufti has a lot of this kind of information in his books. And uh, we were just wondering, is there any experimental work out there that just basically shows that this is <laughs> true? Question, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold I on, mean, we never... I mean, just scratching... Yeah, it's true. Yeah, just scratching our own yeah, itch, yeah. right? I mean, this is this kind of research that is purely, I don't know, experimental, really not trying to do anything that has a practical uh, application, right? But I was really, really curious to see how that worked. So what we did basically was to create, so first we collected a certain number of uh, deceptive visualizations and created different kind of categories of uh, deceptive visualizations, how they deceive. And then we focused on a few ones that are very, very common. Like, for instance, uh, uh, how is it called? Uh, um, um, when the bar chart, the baseline of a bar chart or a line chart is not at zero. Truncated, yeah, truncated y-axis. And, um, and um, so we collected a few, we uh, isolated a few of them and then run experiments trying to see and created for each one two versions, one that is deceptive, one that is not mm -hmm. deceptive, and try to um, basically quantify how much distortion there is when you ask um, a group of participants to evaluate um, the information that is in mm -hmm. the chart, right? And... Um, 
So surprise, surprise, the result is that they are very deceptive. <laughs> That's good news, though. <laughs> That's good news, though. So now if you want to back, uh, back it up with some uh, uh, research, now you have a paper yeah. you can point to. And um, so one thing that we try to do, and the results are a little bit disappointing, we try to see whether there are... Um, personal attributes that actually influence the outcome, mm -hmm. right? Like, for instance, age or uh, uh, level of education, data, data gender, <laughs> data literacy. But unfortunately, we couldn't uh, find anything. So our results show, I don't know, we couldn't find any strong relationship between personal attributes. But that might mean it's just and, perceptual, uh, like it happens on the perceptual level? Is that... Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So at least those that we tested don't seem to have a strong impact. Yeah. So I originally expected to see an impact, and uh, we couldn't find any. So that doesn't mean it is not there. I don't know. You just didn't. Find yeah, it. of yeah. course. Yeah, we just didn't find it. Yeah, yeah of course. That's cool. That sounds really good, and I I would be interested in the like the yeah. The I'll different, send you a preprint. Different types of deception you investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah. really good. They are very deceptive, very yeah. deceptive. Yeah. There's a short yeah. podcast, But, by the way, by John Schwabisch, who we also had on a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, he does the Red Presenters podcast, I think we mentioned it. And they have a short episode on when it, when and if it's okay ever to like cut off the Y-axis. So we can link yeah. that and if people are interested. Yeah. We can I don't think, that. I think it's yeah, rarely yeah. justified, personally, but... Yeah, uh, I think there are a few cases where it is. Yeah, because I, I can tell you because we've been discussing Probably, yeah, for yeah. so long with mm. my student about whether it is always mm. wrong or not. I think there are it's 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 subtler than it seems. I think it's not just black and white. You can or cannot use it mm -hmm. all the time. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I, sometimes I you have know. to actually. actually it's, yeah. It's going to yeah, be a long yeah, digression. Yeah. A I just want to mention that. To, I think, you know, it's often. Uh, yeah. Or if the zero is not meaningful. No. Exactly. Like exactly. zero yeah. degrees Celsius. Who cares? You know, yeah. if, if it's Fahrenheit, yeah. it's somewhere yeah. else. And yeah. So on. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Whatever. So it's not on the Red yeah, Presenters podcast, but it's by John Trabish. We'll, we'll find out the link. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it's great that there is a, another podcast somewhere that is somewhat related to what we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's more about presentations, but they also have a few yeah. database um, themes, of course. So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So related to that, I mean, to the to the paper that I just mentioned, uh, we also had another paper at Viz uh, this last year on uh, uh, on persuasion. So per persuasion is another is another each that I've been trying to scratch for a while. Right, right. And uh, so this is another experimental work where we basically try to see whether um, showing uh, an argument supported by data um, through visualization or tables, whether there is a difference in the degree of persuasion, right? right? So, of course, there are lots of... The, the way we had to organize this experiment is much more intricate. There are lots of mm. things that you have to control for, and I don't want to bore you with this stuff. But I just want to mention that 
um, so the results of our of our experiment basically show that under certain conditions, if you present information graphically, let's mm. say, it might actually lead to much stronger persuasion than using, for instance, a mm -hmm, table, mm -hmm. right? And with graphically, you um, mean in a chart or with enhanced in a chart? Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, no, in a, in a chart. So we've been basically comparing. So you have very small data set that you show either through tables or simple charts like bar yeah. charts or um, line charts or stuff like that right, right? and um, so apparently so it seems to depend on the, um, uh, how strong the initial opinion of a person is on the argument that is discussed by the, the article mm -hmm. right And uh, so if people don't have a very strong initial attitude, they seem to be very much persuaded by, much more persuaded by the graphical illustration. If they don't have a strong right? opinion. If they don't right. have a strong opinion. If they already have a negative strong mm -hmm. opinion, then our data basically shows that they seem to be more persuaded by tables, mm -hmm. right? But always cautious to go through very strong conclusions yeah. because this is just one single study, right? And this is a general statement and I think it's important to make. It's very, very hard to conclude something from one single study. But I think it's important to have one first study mm. in this direction mm. that shows that something is happening there, yeah, it's right? Yeah, interesting. So, and I mean, it seems plausible. You know, it's... Because it seems, it seems like yeah, people course. maybe have their defenses up already. If they have a strong opinion on something, they're used to arguing about the details of the problem and they have sort of, yeah. their bullshit detectors are like way up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they might be less yeah. receptive simply to something that looks like it might persuade you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and we also have uh, another section in the paper that basically classifies um, different kind of reasons why people are or are not persuaded. Because part of our experiment was also collecting uh, open-ended um, comments on the outcome of the results, right? And basically, people have been writing something about why they were persuaded or they or they were not, right? And then we've been coding this information, trying to categorize different kind of reasons why people are or are not yeah. persuaded. And this is very interesting. I think maybe even more interesting than the study itself, because uh, it gives us an impression of what 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 happens in reality. So some people, for instance, are persuaded no matter. So just because there are numbers there. They are persuaded, right? <laughs> a bunch of so like, we had numer numerous people just writing. It's the it's the number that tells yeah, the truth, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Or it's obvious numbers, don't numbers lie. tell always yeah, the numbers truth. Don't lie. The, yeah, the, numbers yeah. don't lie, right? And of course, you have also people on the opposite side of the spectrum. Is I don't give a shit. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe anything <laughs> that is presented this way. All propaganda, <laughs> right? <laughs> All propaganda. Another interesting. One that I think it's somewhat dangerous, in my opinion. There are people who actually never change their opinion, no matter how much evidence there is against their opinion, right? And you can clearly detect this kind of uh -huh. people there, because there are people who clearly write, "I don't care, yeah. I don't care what you show me, I will never change evidence my opinion." Is overrated. <laughs> evidence, yeah, oh, absolutely, evidence is overrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and this reminds me of a book that um, 
Alberto has been um, has been suggesting for a while that is called Unpersuadables. Okay. I didn't read it yet, but it's in, on my to <laughs> yeah, to read list, like, yeah. and sounds very much yeah. related, right? So, what is the psychological mechanism through which some people cannot be persuaded mm -hmm. of anything, right? So, so it's I very mean, intricate, violence, but also work. very fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Just I don't know. Smack them with a with a data sculpt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, so interesting. And, um, unfortunately the, the other day I was thinking about what is the, I mean, the, the implications of these two studies is very bad because people can be very easily persuaded and very easily decepted, <laughs> deceived, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So it's not very positive what I'm, what I'm doing. So next time I want to do something that is much more positive than that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, because I know, I, you can I, also persuade people of the right stuff, right? So it, it's, it, it's, yeah. there's like a black oh, hat, white hat sure. type thing going on, of course, right? So, oh yeah. And, and this actually gives me the opportunity to mention that this work is in collaboration with, um, two of my colleagues and one of them, she's, um, a professor at the NYU School mm -hmm. of Law, and she's an expert in human rights. And um, and it's really interesting because the way this work started is because basically she came to me and said, I want to learn more about visualization. I, I get a sense that visualization can be used to persuade people of important problems mm -hmm. in human rights. And especially, I mean, the kind of problems that these people have is that they know that there is a new kind of mm -hmm. crisis. They have to convince some stakeholders to take mm -hmm. action. And whatever you can provide, whatever new tool you can provide to them to help um, communicate this information better can actually make a big difference, right. right? So this is an example of a very positive kind of outcome that you can have with this stuff. Sure. And then, yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a really interesting uh, topic anyways, like the whole use of data visualization in campaigning or yeah, for for persuading people. We we could have somebody who, yeah. who has a bit more experience with that on the show maybe once. It's because it's a whole different yeah. field and it's a whole different also like playing ground <laughs> and playground <laughs> rules also than in the exploratory yeah. data or in business intelligence or in, in You know, whatever we do. Yeah. So it's it's a whole different field and that's it's kinda yeah. interesting. Yeah. I was sort yeah, of yeah, reminded yeah. also Absolutely. of the complexities, you know, so we talk so much about like global data and how to improve the world with charts and so on. And so also over Christmas I read up a bit on inequality. And boy, that's mm -hmm. so complicated. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, oh, you yeah. think you know how it works. You know, the world becomes much more unequal, yeah. the top one percent, you know, yeah, we all have yeah. this in mind. But the more you read yeah. about it, the more complicated it becomes. <coughs> like what to measure yeah. actually. Uh, <coughs> sorry. Yeah. <coughs> what? <coughs> what? Uh, yeah, can, Are you okay? I have a. Um, I need to drink something. <laughs> <once again. laughs> yeah, but in the meantime, maybe I can say <coughs> that. I think this is pretty much true with every kind of big problem once you start digging into the details it's much more complicated than it seems right yeah that's always the problem <laughs> and that's and i mean and the, the fine the delicate line is of course in a persuasive situation you know how do you not sweep all the 
the nasty details under the rug, <laughs> but also make yeah, them yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, yeah, make a case in a, in a compelling way, and maybe that ties yeah. back again to the to the book, right? The principal argument, like how how can we learn to argue based on facts and and data, but still exactly. be differentiated and and human. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, it all boils down to in the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This vaguely reminds me of a book that I read a few months back, maybe one year ago or so. It's called Poor uh -huh. Numbers. <laughs> and it's really, really interesting. I can, I can sympathize because, with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's this guy from I think he's from the Nether Netherlands. I guess so. And he's a I guess he's an a development economist or something like that. And he's basically traveling all around um Africa to visit the statistical offices of all <laughs> African mm -hmm. countries, right? These are the people who are in charge of collecting numbers about what's going on in every single right, right. country in Africa, right? And of course, they are totally messed right. up, totally yeah. messed up. But the crazy thing is that he explains that, uh, I mean, the higher-ups are taking very important decisions based sure, on these numbers, sure. right? And this is totally crazy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, but that's all you have at some point, like or at some level of abstraction. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, but sure, sure, this is how it, sure. how it goes. Yeah. Everything is much more intricate than it seems. <laughs> yeah. Right. When you look at the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a point. I think Alberto was making this point as well in his presentation at this, showing the political situation in Ukraine, right? Something like that. And actually showing that if you start digging into the details, then you have a much more complex reality than just it's black yeah. and white. It's blue and yellow, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's so much. And I think maybe the point here is what one really need to learn or teach is more of an attitude, right? It's not just a matter of learning this or learning that. It's learning an attitude, how to deal this kind of healthy skepticism. Yeah, and also how to live with cognitive dissonance because what can you do? Yeah. And it's it's part of like that making sense, you know, is to con constantly have this these dissonances and trying to resolve them and search for evidence here and search for counter evidence there. Just yeah, actively yeah. make sense. And yeah, I think that would all of these things we discussed today actually boil down to, which is nice. <laughs> cool. Shall we Absolutely. wrap it up? Cool. I think yeah. we have an hour or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. cool. You're a good we should guest. do it more often. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> Very nice. Cool. So cool. looking forward to our next recording with a, another, yeah. this time again, a very special guest. So this will be fun. Um, and good. In the meantime, have a great time. Bye-bye. Bye. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within data that lead to insights that ignite good ideas. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at www.click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories.